1: Hello and welcome to Around the Corner. I'm Matt Schlichting, joined as always by Brian Heminger. Brian, are you excited for another mailbag edition of the podcast? Absolutely.
0: This might be my favorite part of the podcast now.
1: We have, I think, close to a dozen questions here that we received. So thank you to everyone who took the time earlier today and throughout the week on the various covering the corner channels to reach out to us. I will go ahead and get us started with a little bit of a fun one from Quincy Wheeler. He asks, what sacrifice should I offer to the roster configuration gods to convince the Guardians to call up Nolan Jones to play right field the rest of the season? Uh,
0: I think, uh, you know, what is it? People always say they would uh, give their left testicle. So uh, I I think that would be a,
1: a fair one. That is a straightforward answer. And I think it's an open and shut case. Quincy, there you go. You now know what must be done. Yeah, do Uh, it for Nolan. (laughs) I feel like we need a disclaimer on the podcast now. Oh, no. Um, Mike Reed submitted a question this week as well. Uh, With three weeks until rosters expand, uh, should I even bother looking forward to seeing Nolan Jones in Cleveland or brace for the inevitable promotions of Alex Young and Cam Hill? So along a similar line.
0: Uh, I would say Cam Hill is very likely because he is on the 40 man and he was on the team last year and he seems to be performing pretty well but it's not out of the realm of possibility that Nolan Jones gets a shot. I think as I've said all season it depends on depth um, if they still want to keep giving you know uh, Zimmer and Mercado a, a hard look to see if they're worth keeping for uh, once this roster crunch happens then that's probably what they're going to do but if they want to give him a shot and let him start getting a, a taste of MLB action, I'm all for it. People keep pointing out, you know, like the 30% strikeout rate and everything. And that, you know, the, the batting average is a little low, but that includes a really ugly may when he was having his AAA debut. And since then the strikeout rates like 26, which isn't amazing, but that's better. And uh I think he's hitting what, like 266 with like a 370 on base percentage since since May. So it's a
1: good looking slash.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm liking it. So you know what? Give him a shot. Uh whether he can help in help at first base a little bit, third give Jose a breather or, or work those corner outfield spots. Just see if you can find a place for him.
1: I would love to see him get some time up on the big league club here at the end of the season, but I just, I don't think they're going to do it.
0: Well, I would just say, I would think uh, they sent Daniel Johnson back down. uh, So they probably would call him up first just because he's already been up here uh, if they want an extra outfielder. So unfortunately that's, that's the most likely outcome because they're going to have to make some decisions between Johnson and Mercado and Zimmer with that upcoming crunch. And I don't Who knows? Maybe they've already kind of made that decision by deciding to send Johnson down when uh, they, they traded for Miles Straw. So
1: Perhaps, yes. Uh, more on the farm system and outfielders in a little bit. In the meantime, though, I think we got some interesting questions here about the Rule 5 draft, and one of them was from Jamie Renner, just sort of asking for a general explanation of how it works. Uh, and since there are a couple of other questions that have to do with the 40 man roster crunch, people potentially being taken or not being around next year, I thought it would be a good idea to do this one first. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Like, basically, the whole reason the Rule 5 draft exists is it prevents teams from just hoarding their prospects and never promoting them until like way later. It, it's unfair to them, basically. It's it's for the benefit of the prospect. Basically, if you've been in the system long enough, you have to at least be added to the 40-man roster or somebody else can take you onto their team if they think you're good enough to be playing in the major leagues. And I think the way it works is if you are like 18 or younger, um, it's five years after you've been signed. And then if you are like 19 or older, I think it is uh, four years after you've been signed. So that's also why you see, you know, the college players move up quicker because they have a shorter window before they can be rule five drafted. Uh, and that's also why, you know, the international players actually get a little bit unfair <laughs> since they get signed at like 16. So they're rule five eligible at like 20, 21, Uh, and they could still be in the really low a level, uh, So we're going to have quite a few players like that. Like basically, that entire twenty eighteen class is about to be Rule Five eligible. Maybe twenty seventeen that had Valera and Rokio and Tana and Braco and Noel. Like all of them are all Rule Five eligible.
1: Yeah, the way the rules are configured, it puts teams in an interesting situation with some of those guys. Where could they be in All Star caliber? caliber player one day yes but how long are you willing to tie up a roster spot on a guy like that or how many guys are you willing to carry on the roster like that long term it's just an interesting question right
0: yeah the most notable one recently was we lost Anthony Santander he's turned into a pretty good player in Baltimore Uh, this this season we lost Kai Tom and uh, Luis Oviedo and they are both in Pittsburgh and it looks like they're gonna you know, stick it out the whole season, and we took Trevor Steven from the Yankees, and you know I think that's looking like a steal because he's definitely sticking around,
1: yes, so it's it's not uncommon to see guys change organizations or teams as a result of this draft, but it is fairly rare for a player who gets picked in the rule five draft to be like a sensational addition for a team,
0: yeah, the like the the number one example people always talk about is like Jose Batista. So he was a Rule 5 draft. But, it, I mean, it took him a while even to to catch on. Like he bounced around a few works first.
1: Mm-hmm. And is it worth going into, like, the minor league rounds of the Rule 5 draft? Or is that, like, a relic of the past now? Uh, they still
0: happen. It used to be, like, level by level. Like, you protected to the major league, like you'd add somebody on the 40-man so that nobody could take them onto the major league portion of the draft. And then there was a round of protect them at the triple-A level. <laughs> then there was a round of, like, protect them at the double-A level. Uh, so, like, if somebody drafted them, they had to put them on, like, their triple-A team like, or their double-A team. Like. Uh, but basically, if that happens and you are Rule 5 drafted in the minors, it is extremely unlikely that, uh, you know, you're going to have, like, a really big career. I mean, if they're not even willing to protect you at the minor league level, so that's, that's kind of how I view it. I think we did take a guy in the rule five in the minor. That's been doing pretty good at double a. I I'm for, I'm uh, blanking on his name though, but he has been playing in the outfield for uh, Akron and he's been having a pretty good season.
1: But generally it's like a noteworthy because it happened and only because of that, like it doesn't typically end up being anything.
0: Yeah. Like, like Matt Esparza, if you remember, you know he, he was having a pretty good run in Cleveland, uh, but then uh, he got dealing with some injuries. They left him unprotected in even the minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft. He got taken by the Angels, and then he retired. Like, it didn't even pitch for them. So that, that's the kind of stuff that usually happens.
1: Mm-hmm. From Colonel Chestbridge on Twitter, how likely is it that Fermin, Jose Fermin, gets taken in the Rule 5 draft? The approach, contact, and defense, I love, but the steals have disappeared entirely, and I think that makes him less likely to be taken? Question mark. Just reading it how um, it's written.
0: He could be taken. Like, we've left him unprotected uh, before already, and that was uh, in 2020, I believe, and maybe even 2019 Uh Back when he was in regular single A, but this year he is in double A. He has dealt with some injuries. Uh, hasn't really shown a lot of pop, but the on-base skills are still there. He's not a guy that strikes out a lot. He walks uh, a lot. So he hasn't put up like a crazy OPS or anything in Akron, but he's having a decent season. In terms of like the level of players that we need to protect, there are quite a few in the pecking order right now. That I would protect over for me, mainly because just the insane amount of middle infield prospects we have. Like, there's just too many guys that have leapfrogged ahead of him uh, that would make him like you would basically be having to trim some players that could succeed more at the major league level to protect him. I think so at this point.
1: I'm not sure that the team would bother to protect him, especially since he hasn't been protected in the past. But I also don't know if there's anything that jumps out where a team would take a, ch- um, take a chance on him, right? But not that it's a huge chance even, but it's still a roster spot for a certain amount of time until they give up on it and he gets returned to the other team, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, somebody could take a shot on him, absolutely. I mean, there are some crappy teams out there. <laughs> so uh, they could... You know, use him, and with his on base skills and his eye at the plate, um, I think that he could uh, be a, a serviceable, you know, utility type of uh, major league infielder. Uh, from everything I've seen, uh, you know, he definitely has the ability to to play at the major league level. It just might still be a, a year away. So, if they rule five draft him, I think that that would be probably a year early. Yet, mm-hmm.
1: and, and one other thing, I think of is if he's the guy that we lose via Rule 5 out of all of the middle infielders in the system, like, I can live with that. Like, okay. Yeah,
0: I'm with you on that. Like, I like him. He's a really good player, but we just have so many more middle
1: infielders that he's he's getting lost in the shuffle. From Nick Kramer, which non-Cleveland prospect excites you the most? Ooh.
0: That is a good one. Um, I have to go Bobby Witt Jr. Like people were just hyping him up in the spring training, saying that he could make Kansas City's roster right out of spring training, even though he'd never even been higher than like single A. Oh, um, and and he's been having a really good season. Uh, he started the year at double A. He's at triple A right now, just mashing home runs. Like and when he hits them, they go like. 450 or longer like just crushing home runs and he's a a shortstop so looks like he's living up to all the hype at this point so
1: i have a goofy answer and a serious answer Uh, my goofy answer is tristan casas in the red sox system he's a first baseman
0: you know what's funny uh i in my fantasy baseball league we are allowed to have three minor league spots where you're just holding on to these guys and hoping they become good. And I have Bobby Witt Jr. and Tristan Casas.
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah, Casas right. looks like he could absolutely mash as a first baseman one day. And he also became a Hall of Famer in an out-of-the-park baseball run through <laughs> that I once nice. had. Just it was like eight straight seasons of seven or eight wins above replacement. It was beautiful. Uh, a more serious answer is joey bart okay i catch just the- think it's cool the- that they have like an heir apparent to buster posey who's come up through the system the same way wasn't early like i think he was the first or second pick when san francisco uh drafted him so i just think it's kind of cool it's almost like quarterbacks the way some teams do it in the nfl and they're doing it with catchers
0: yeah there's a lot of teams doing that with catchers You know, and I think they took another catcher with the first pick this year. So, yeah, it's been a
1: little surprising. Yeah, and a little bit of a bigger catcher, but still excellent defensively. And I think at one point people weren't sure if he was definitely going to stick there, but yes, he will. So, yeah, kind of fun to talk about some other prospects for a little bit. But moving back right along, Ben Nelson wants to know um, if Cody Morris who looks insane, is lights out again in his next start in Columbus, we have to bring him up, right? (laughs)
0: Uh, At this point, he is our best-performing pitcher that's at double-A or higher right now, so that is true. Um, But you also have to factor in Plasek and Bieber are getting pretty close to coming back. So Um, Savali and Bieber? Yeah, that's what I meant, sorry. Uh, Savali and Bieber are, are getting pretty close to coming back. So we probably won't need to call up Morris at this point, but I mean, he is a hundred percent going to be a top contender for a rotation spot next season, even with, you know, McKenzie having his flashes of brilliance Quantrill really pitching well down the stretch. Like he's Morris is good enough with nasty strikeout stuff and the ability to stay in the zone, uh, that he is, Going to be one of the top contenders for that like number five spot.
1: I'm trying to remember what is Morris's top velocity. Uh, I would say 98, 99. That's uh, that's what I thought, and so he's a starting yeah. pitching uh, somebody, prospect. Yeah, somebody, uh, of... uh, Mr.
0: Dallas, I believe, uh, messaged you and me both and said uh, his friend was watching Morris pitch at AAA and he was hitting 99 consistently.
1: Yeah, which that's outstanding, obviously, uh, and and not something that I think any of our starting pitchers right now can
0: compete with. Yeah, Quantrill throws the hardest at about 96 right now.
1: So moving along, Daniel Harris wants to know, what's the issue with this farm system and outfielders?
0: I would definitely say the focus has been drafting middle infielders, Um, drafting middle infielders, signing middle infielders. Um, we have had some difficulty developing outfield prospects, uh, whether it, you know, Naquin and Zimmer and Mercado once he got traded over and, you know, just going back and back, like we just have not been able to get those stud outfield prospects. Like the last time we did was like Brian Giles. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's been a while, uh, you know, even Shinsu Chu, we traded for him like, but I really think we have some serious contenders in the outfield. I mean, George Valera, I think, is almost a lock to be a stud. Uh, but then you've got uh, Petey Halpin, who is debuted at full season this year. Uh, he never even played half-season ball. Um, Isaiah Green, who we got in the Lindor trade, is looking like a stud. And then you've got just so many other You know, fringe, really interesting players like Stephen Kwan and Will Benson, who has really played a lot better this year at double A and Oscar Gonzalez, who's having a breakout season. Um, Just there's a lot of really, really interesting outfield talent. You just got to, you know, look for it a little bit. They're, They're not quite as many in our like top 10 other than Valera, but they're there. So
1: that actually segues kind of nicely into another one of our questions um, from Ben Nelson as well. Uh, Other than George Valera, that actually segues kind of nicely into another question uh, from Ben Nelson as well. Other than George Valera, which outfield prospect has the best chance to become an all-star someday? And perhaps it is one of those that you just mentioned, uh, or maybe it's someone else. Yeah,
0: I'll go uh, Isaiah Green. I am really liking what I'm seeing out of him so far. Uh he is getting on base at an extremely high clip. Uh and this is his pro debut as well. Um you know, Halpin Halpin is doing nice. I mean, I, I think it could it'll be one of those two, uh, Halpin or Green, but uh they are really, really exciting me right now. And they're very young at and playing at a very high level. So you know, Halpin was a little overmatched when he first started at Lynchburg, but he has really been turning it on lately.
1: So Green, you mentioned, came over as part of the Lindor trade. How did we get Halpin again? We
0: drafted him. I think he was our third round pick. Uh, might have been a little bit later in the, the 2020 draft. So we drafted him just last year, and then they put him th- – While well, they waited until about the time that Arizona was starting its season. All of a sudden, he wasn't on that roster anymore, and they, they just called him right up to Lynchburg instead, which was really cool.
1: It is. Okay, so he's being drafted that high, not as if he's someone who's come completely out of nowhere,
0: yeah and and he got a pretty big bonus too, like they definitely were like, this kid is really good, like I he might have even been lower than third round, honestly, but he was one of our higher bonuses, like they were you know saving money to get him when they, he was still available, they're like screw it we're we're taking <laughs>
1: i feel like for me valera is still the one who stands out the most for sure but just because it would be amazing i kind of want it to be oscar gonzalez right i,
0: I knew you were going to say oscar and
1: yes hitting 390 with a 395 on base why not <laughs>
0: And, and none of it walks like he got hit like once
1: yeah just you happen to lean into a pitch by mistake tries to stay in the batter's box they won't let him etc <laughs> yeah
0: i i do i want to see what he can do at the major league level like i'm really excited to to see his development like his people have just been you know overlooking him and overlooking him and overlooking him and he's just doing
1: done nothing but succeed yeah, I'm, I'm prepared to have my heart broken. It, it turns out there's a reason <laughs> that someone, in, quote unquote, inexplicably stops making contact at the higher levels. But it's still fun while it lasts. I can't help but root for him.
0: And, and he is still making contact.
1: So he, he's not overmatched right now, which is exciting. Uh, so our next one is from Brady. I'm going to pronounce it Bame. Could be Bome. Could be bo a- we we don't know for sure. We never will. Is there a chance that we see Gabriel Arias in the MLB in twenty twenty one? Where does Nolan Jones fit in the twenty twenty one team with the emergence of a working outfield rotation in Cleveland? Gasp.
0: I, I mean we kinda talked about, you know, this a little bit already, but yeah, Arias he's ready. I mean, there's there's some people that think that he could be our number one prospect right now. Like the fact that he's twenty one and putting up these kind of numbers at AAA, I mean, he's right on that cusp. I think we should be throwing these guys all in and just seeing who stands out from the pack. I mean, you've got, you know, Clement and Miller and Jimenez and uh, Arias. I mean, they are all in there fighting for those, you know, middle infield spots, whether it's utility or second or short and just see, you kind of have that battle royale. I think the biggest battle will be in spring training,
1: yeah, when I start to wonder with the way Ahmed Rosario is hitting lately, it seems like he's on fire again. If that's something that he keeps consistently doing, maybe he moves to second, and then that seems to open things up quite a bit for Arias. But I think I think we absolutely see him in twenty twenty one at the major league level, but will he get a chance to be the starting shortstop? And I think it depends a lot on how he finishes this year and, and what sort of spring he has, like you mentioned.
0: Yeah, there's just a lot of tough decisions that are going to need to be made very soon. So, uh, like, we, we've been talking about this for quite a while now, but uh, that roster crunch is coming and it's going to hit hard. So they're going to have to make some moves to if they want to keep, like, the cream of the crop and arias is definitely in that level like i think what several different rankings have him as a a top 100 you know prospect in all the baseball. so uh yeah i'm legitimately excited for him like the guy has power and he hadn't really showcased up until this season uh a really good eye at the plate and this is by far i believe that the best he's done with that too so that's just a huge leap in development
1: yeah anytime you see someone add a little bit more to their game in every level. That's a hugely positive sign. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I think I remember hearing like that San Diego was like working with him extensively on pitch recognition because he was too aggressive at the plate and whatever they did, it paid off. I think they should look into it and (laughs) a lot of other guys from our to maybe try that.
1: Interesting. I would love to, know a little bit more about what it is they were doing to help him develop it. It's like a pitch training boot camp almost. Or pitch recognition boot camp, rather. Our last question for this week comes from Pat, tangible underscore Uno on Twitter. Uh, how much do you guys weigh certain factors to evaluate prospects such as performance relative to age and level, uh, playable positions, et cetera? So just sort of, if I'm understanding his question correctly, just an overall view of, of what you look for in a prospect? Like what things are most important to you?
0: Uh There's quite a bit. I mean, with the younger prospects like that we get internationally or out of high school, I'm going to be a lot more patient with them because they're still learning. Like you got to think of them like, you know, a college freshman or a college sophomore that's not even draft eligible yet. Uh, so you're going to let them take their lumps and figure it out because they're, you know, getting thrown right into the fire. But with college players, I'm going to expect more, you know, they've been in, they've been through it. Uh, they've, you know, got a lot more experience. So I'm going to look for them to perform really well early in their careers when they're at the lower levels and to see if they can maintain that success as they go up because they're going to be older. Uh, but with the youngers, I I give a lot more leeway. Uh, Something I always look at is strikeout rate and walk rate for hitters. Uh, If they are keeping that reasonable, uh, like that's why I'm so excited about Valera because, you know, this is the first time he's ever played at high A level, his first ever full season. Like he only played like a handful of at bats at full season in 2019. So this year, he started the year at full season and he has been playing pretty much the whole season, at like one little spot on the injured list, but that he's doing that and sporting the highest walk rate and lowest strikeout rate of his career. That is so exciting. It's so exciting. Um, same with, uh, you know, uh, Oscar Gonzalez, he's starting to walk more. Like he's learning that because he's so aggressive at the plate, people aren't going to always throw him strikes. So he's, You know, it's not like an elite walk rate, but that is a huge sign. So those little things, those are what you really want to look for. Like you got to take into consideration that maybe some guys have like really high bat pips. So you don't want to just look at like batting average. So uh, like say guy's hitting like 350, but uh, his strikeout rate's like 35%. That's a huge red flag. So uh, and then with pitching, Yes, strikeouts are important, but I always look at walk rate. Like if you can't throw strikes, uh, you know who cares, honestly. So, and and that's what is so important with uh, when Cleveland drafts players. Like like we always joke that the, the the formula for a Cleveland pitcher is you know high strikeout rate, no walks, and it is a tried and true formula for a reason because it works. Like, those guys fly through the system when, when, it's, when it's working for him, um, So uh, it's going to be red flags if a guy's – even if a guy's striking out, you know, 15, 20 batters per nine innings, if he's walking uh, six or seven per nine innings, that's going to be a problem. Like, that was the biggest thing holding back like Sam Hentges, and I think it's going to be the thing that keeps him from being a starter. So uh, just got to – see how that plays out. But, uh, I think those are the main things I always look at is, you know, walk rate for pitchers and,
1: uh, strikeout rate for hitters. Mm -hmm. I like that. I'm trying to think I have sort of a weird answer, I guess, because like, I wish I could go see players in person more often. That would be amazing. Um, but I guess when I'm, thinking about hitters age is one of the things I always have an eye on because there was a baseball by the numbers, extra innings, I think was the name of the book that came out in like 2011 or something. And there was an article written from the, just the the position basically of how did so many teams miss on drafting Mike Trout? Like it's Mike Trout. Are you crazy? And Basically, through their analysis, and they broke it down in the article, they were pointing out, like, he was a year younger than almost everyone else who was getting scouted for the same position, so they started looking for other guys that were younger, and I guess the numbers suggested, like, yeah, age, if everything else is equal, a year between 17 and 18 is worth, like, an entire round of value, basically, at the top of the draft, which... Really impacted, and I think continues to impact my thoughts about hitters. Keeping in mind things like catchers develop slower than, say, your typical corner outfielder, just because it's a more difficult position to learn and play, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. Like, if you've got a catcher that is impressing defensively and lighting things up offensively, you know that guy is a superstar. Yeah,
1: and like that's why Bo Naylor is a guy that. Yes, he is noted as a top prospect, but I'm still like, I I think he might be the best one we've got right now for his I'm, age and how he continues to I'm adjust. Hard though. True. Yeah. Um, and adjustments actually is the other thing, especially in pitchers, I think. I remember a few years ago, it was either in the interview you did with him or some other article we had put together where Bieber, when he was still in the minors, mentioned like, yeah, I might have to start throwing balls more. (laughs) And then he started to do it too. It just having a pitcher, I think that's willing to tinker with his game like that is a huge positive sign because it's like, yeah, the league's going to adjust at some point. So down the road, he's going to have to do this at some point. How cool that he's just doing it now to try to get better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I would say, the age thing is super important because like, look at like Noel, who is putting up just bonkers numbers at Lynchburg. And then Micah Priest, who has been doing the same thing, started the year at Lynchburg and has been putting up almost the exact same level of numbers. Uh, and then he got promoted to high A and is still doing the same thing. But you know what? Even though Priest is still at a higher level, I'm more excited about Noel because Priest is like 22, 23 years old. Noel's 19. So, like, that's so much more room for growth. And he could be up at a young, much younger age than Priest in terms of when they could help the team.
1: Noel's a good call out, too, because there are certain tools that when you spot them, that kind of changes everything. And knowing that Noel is hitting the ball as hard as has been reported at and his not age. And breaking out. A lot. Oh my god! Yeah.
0: So (laughs) eye contact, immense light tower power, like 500 foot home runs, and, and that young. I mean, I mean that guy is our first baseman in the future. If they don't protect him in the Rule Five draft, I'm probably going to throw a hissy
1: fit. (laughs) But yeah, I think I think adaptability, flexibility, and versatility is another thing that I really, I really like in a player and a prospect. I don't know if part of that's because of the attention that I've been paying to the Indian system the last few seasons filled with guys like that. But I really appreciate the question from Pat. It's fun to take some time and think about like separate from all the other rankings out there. Like, What do we look for in prospects?
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that was a really good, well thought out question. So thank you, Pat.
1: So I think that was our, our last question this week.
0: Well, you know what time it is now then.
1: I, d- I don't actually Oh
0: I believe uh, We have a certain poet laureate uh, That's going to close our
1: our show Oh you mean E.E. Gammings? Yes sir Indeed Well if, if there's no one If no one else is prepared with an E.E. E. Gamings reading I suppose I could read one Hmm Please do <clears throat> Wow Shania Twain <laughs> Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies, like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. Sharing with us what she's learned. I can't
0: believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. (laughs) Pretty
1: wild. Listen to our solo acts mini series now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find
0: podcasts.